Hey, Andy Jenkins here. I am actually talking to you. I'm not from the attic again. This is one of those odd weeks where, uh, goodness, I'm recording this on a Wednesday. That's generally the time I like to record. It just kind of fits in with the rhythm of our schedule. But our kids, they've gone and Christy's gone and the house is empty. So I'm sitting in the kitchen. This is uh, spring break week here. A little bit early, you know, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably actually your spring break. But with the homeschool co-op and some of the things our kids did, um, we've got an earlier time this year. And so uh, doing some sheetrock repair in the house in three different rooms. And it just kind of coincided with, uh, you know, Christy, her jam is family and fun. And so she had this idea of taking the kids to a state park and doing a cabin thing and camping and, uh, well, kind of cabin camping and riding the bikes and going on the trails and cooking out and playing games and all this kind of stuff. And it just kind of coincided with, hey, if if everybody gets out of the house, I can stick back and I can make sure that we get the sheetrock done and we don't have people living in a construction zone. Sheetrock going in three rooms. And that happens tomorrow. And some of you have done that before. You, you know, that generally means dust on, not looking forward to it, dust on everything. Sheetrock dust, it just, like, you'll find it in the oddest, strangest places after you do that. But all that leads me to this. is like I've got some alone time here, and I'm thinking and praying and digging and wrestling and churning through some of the work of the soul. And as I've been going through the redemption book, uh, I've been going through that. Goodness, I started that last summer and then went through it during the fall. I took a break to do the men's advance back in September. And so did a few episodes on that material. And then I did a few episodes recently from the advance and dropped some bonus live content in there and some interviews with different people and kind of winding up, wrapping up that entire book. You can download it absolutely free if you go to the link in the show notes here below or just go to my website And uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to shift gears into and teach next, but I really enjoy talking and I really enjoy teaching and really enjoy communicating through this medium. It gives me, goodness, the time just to process, just to think. Uh, Sometimes it's, it's like in the teaching of the material and in the communicating of the truth, somehow it just kind of, uh, on one hand, catches me and... Uh, it becomes deeper and richer and more alive with with me because like to communicate it and for it to flow through you like like it first has to really do something to you and so that's been going on and second of all i'm i'm kind of surprised how some of the material that we get to like you know i, I just kind of plan to go through the entire book through just kind of point by point like topic by topic but how some of the material just kind of intersects and lands right where where we are, right where I am. So Isaiah 53, 3, uh, and I'm just kind of tailing on the very end of the redemption book. I'm kind of in this, uh, the last chapter, I'm going to flip it. That's what you're hearing right there. Pen and paper, chapter 20. The title is this, Acquainted with Grief. Isaiah 53, 3, it says that Jesus... Um, Now get this. He is God in the flesh. He is the one that does miracles. He is the healer. He's the provider. He is the gracious one that people flock to. He's the one that, you know, even when people are bailing out and he looks at Simon Peter and says, hey, do you you want to bail out as well? Because the teaching had gotten kind of hard and tricky, you know, and and difficult. And he looks at Peter and says, hey, do you want to bail out also? Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. Life. And John uh, says in John chapter one that in him was life. And that life that Jesus carried, that he embodied, it was the life, it was the light of men. 
and women. And you, you see those high points. You see what he was. And Isaiah 53, 3 simultaneously says that he was a man of sorrows, a man of sorrows that was acquainted with grief. And I think about that and I wonder, goodness, like how many of you, I, I know that I am, like there are things going on in life that sometimes I wonder, man, will this ever get fixed? But maybe you've been there. Will, will this ever be repaired? Can this part of life ever be restored? Like simultaneously, there'll be some things in life that are amazing, that are incredible, that are um, just to kind of pull in the scripture verse from Ephesians 3, 19 and 20, that are more than you could ask, think, or imagine, that are that are grand. They're, they're so grand that you can't comprehend them. Like you think about them and you get overwhelmed with gratitude. And then simultaneously, there are these sections these pieces of life where, man, it doesn't seem that there's wholeness there. It seems that there's some kind of vacancy. It seems that uh, it's just not not quite working. Um, I guess to that, you know, Hebrews 4.15, it, it says this. It says that we do not have a high priest that is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one. We have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are. Uh, maybe, maybe pause right there. Tempted in every way we are. Tempted with arrogance and pride. T- tempted to spin the story to sound just a little bit better than he was. Tempted to steal, to make the ends meet. Tempted to lie and cover something up. Tempted to hide and not be transparent and hide what was really going on in his heart instead of revealing and risking intimacy versus rejection. Tempted, tempted sexually, tempted with an addiction, tempted, tempted to doubt the provision of his maker, tempted to, man, just wonder, is this worth it or is there something more going on tempted in every single way that we are yet was without sin he did not sin man i i think about verses like that a high priest who can empathize who who has been there who is in the place who has been in the exact spot that you are and look at pieces of life facets of life and get overwhelmed that that this too is not just a place that other people have journeyed. You know, that, that's kind of the truth when we all get to talking together. You know, Revelation 12 says that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by what Jesus has done in the past, and by the word of their testimony. Like there is this overwhelming way that we overcome the enemy, which is by the word of our story. Uh, ancient rabbis, they thought that, they believed that, they taught that, that your story, my story, it carries in that story the power that was present in the actual event where deliverance or freedom or miracle took place. And so like just the retelling of it carries the same power as the actual event. And so the story is loaded with power of hope. It's loaded with power of miracles. It's loaded with power of freedom of deliverance, of the magnitude of God and wonder of God and love of God coming through like a tidal wave. You you know that. You've heard stories of other people and you've thought, me, me too, I'll take that. And then you have. Or other people have heard your story and they thought, I, I want that. I need, I need that. 
it's incredible that we can hear other people's stories and that there's transformation. I, I remember, goodness, uh, man, it's been it's been decades ago. I, I remember growing up in the church and feeling this estrangement from God, almost like I was playing the the game, playing the church part, like you know, being the good kid, showing up. Um, and goodness, growing up in church, it's kind of like I had to be the good kid. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm grateful for that background. And I, a big part of me wanted to be the good kid, to be honest. Like, I, I wanted to do the right thing. Like, there was this tender place in my heart that wanted to just kind of walk in the right path, not to earn something, not to, not to be pleasing, but, but just like it just felt right and safe. And yet, simultaneously, I was always aware that I had to be the good kid because there'd be things like, now get this, this is, this is odd that when, uh, we were in church services, and everybody, you know, bow their eye, bow their bow their head, and sit, close their eyes, and the prayer would be said. To bow your head, close your eyes, prayer said. There's always, you know, one or two people, adults, that, and I'm talking like in their 40s, 50s, that were like in the choir loft and would be looking around, eyeballing. You know, they're not praying, and they're they're the purpose of them not praying is to eyeball and see which kids, particularly like you know, pastors' kids, deacons' kids. So pastors' kid was me. Um, my brother, um, my sister, who's much younger than us, um, which kids aren't praying? Like, who has their eyes open? Who's taking prayers, opportunity to look around, you know? Um, I'm grateful um, for the growing up and for the power of story that I picked up along the way and how you see since this redemption and pick up stuff from people. Not, not sure kind of how it got on that little tangent right there about the prayer thing, but I, it's, it's always, it's always been this thing like growing up in the church for me where I, I had that tension, but, but I felt like I was playing a game, you know? And I remember attending a, a concert one Sunday evening with some friends and the guy that was singing now, I usually didn't like going to concerts because, like, if I'm going to a concert, I want the singer to sing, right? Sing the song and move on, not sing a five-minute song or six-minute song and then preach for 15 or 20 minutes and then tell us all about the song and then do another six-minute song and then talk for 15 or 20 minutes like that. That kind of got on my nerves, but it seemed like, and this was kind of a gospel-ish type presentation too, like a gospel singing, like a different genre of music than what I really leaned into. During that season, I, I, I was in my 20s, early 20s. And I, I remember during this time, the singer, the lead singer, got up there to talk. And he went into the story about growing up in the church and how he grew up in the church. But he always felt like, now here's a word, he always felt like a poser. I had too. He felt like, and he was carrying this angst. I don't know that he used that word, but like I, I was, like because I felt like kind of an insider and outsider. Again, like I wanted to be doing the right thing. That felt safe, but somehow with you know people looking and staring in, like felt this like acquainted with grief type thing. Microscope, fishbowl, whatever. Wanting to lean in close to the Father, not knowing if you can. Wanting to, and then you've played the charade so long, you think maybe. Looking back, man, it's just ridiculous. Like I, I was, I was twenty, twenty one, right? So young, but thinking I'd played the charade so long that like I, I was on the outskirts, not, not able to be accessible or accessed by 
my heavenly father. And I heard his story that was so similar and seeing and hearing that story, it awakened something in me. And I, and I knew like I could step over this line and own this and move forward too. And that evening I did. I still remember it was a Sunday. It was a father's day. It was in June. There's power in other people's stories. There's power in seeing that someone has been there. They've been in the grief. They've been in the stage. They've been in the trauma that you're in. They've been in the question marks, the doubts, the wondering, the wanting, wishing, waiting, the hope deferred, making the heart grow sick and discouraged type of place that you're at. Hebrews says something altogether exponentially greater though. In Hebrews chapter four, it it just says like, hey, we we actually have a high priest, Jesus, who who was in the same place that you are. Like there's no place that you go. There's no place emotionally tough that you walk through that he's not already been there. And and not only walked through, but but when he walked through it, he he didn't sin. Like he he got it right. And if you walk through it and you do sin, because sometimes, like, let's be honest, that happens. There's still redemption for that. There's still freedom. There's still forgiveness. And there's still the Savior. There's still this Jesus. There's still this Father who completely empathizes, who completely looks at you and says, I, I get it. Like, I, I understand. I've, I've, I've been there. Um, been kind of processing that a lot lately. Been kind of walking through that a lot lately. You, you see, like I'm just kind of thinking through the stuff that Jesus went through. It, it says things like this, like in John chapter one eleven, it says that he came to his own people and he was not received. And I wonder about maybe you, like you've been in the midst of your own family, your own people. And they don't welcome you. They don't receive you. And it doesn't matter how many apologies. It doesn't matter how many things you get right. They see the one that you get wrong or they see the one that was even just a miscommunication and they unload on you. And Jesus looks and he says, I get it. I've, I've been there. You know, you, you think about when he is um, first starting off his ministry and he's really kind of this stranger in his own home because he has family members that thought he's lost his mind and they publicly tell people he's this is a mark three he's out of his mind like maybe you've had people close to you tell you or tell other people that you're emotionally volatile, you're unstable, you're not dependable, you can't be trusted, you can't be relied on. Um, Jesus' brothers regularly even taunted him, coaxing him to reveal his greatness to everyone. This is in John chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, when he's there, and they say, like, hey, maybe it's now it's time for you to go public. Like, maybe now it's time to... And, and of course, he hadn't gone out yet. You, you read through other stories, like in Mark chapter 14 and Mark chapter 14, verse 10 and 43, it's, it's his friend, Judas, a, a trusted one in the inner circle, in the 12, one that had been empowered by him to lay hands on people and heal people and, and had done that. One who was so trusted that he had um, access to the ministry's finances, one that was trusted that he walked with him and ate with him and dined with him and heard the stories 
that, that no one else here, that only the 12 would hear. Like, like Jesus explained the parable of the sower and the seeds like just to the 12. And when Jesus was asleep on the boat while there was a storm at sea, it was just only with the 12. And when Jesus was walking on water in the middle of the sea during the middle of the storm, and Peter got out and walked on water, like that was just there with the 12. It seems there are these other highlights, like when Jesus... Um, did other smaller miracles. Like there were these unique insights that the 12 got. Judas was one of those. And Jesus knew what it was like to betray betrayed by a close friend. He knew what it was like to have the friends that you trusted um, abandoned, to walk out, to leave. Like that's what happened when Judas betrayed him. Like all the others just kind of fled and ran off in the garden. Um, before that, you know, he told the friends when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane that night after eating the Last Supper, the Passover is what they were celebrating. They, they went out to the garden to pray, and he told his friends, like, hey, like my, my soul is distraught, even to the point of death. Sit here, stay, watch, and pray. And he goes and he agonizes, and he's in such agony, such turmoil that, like Luke says, that he sweat great drops of blood, like he's in that much kind of anguish. And I wonder, like, maybe if you've been in that kind of anguish and you felt alone like Jesus, because the scripture says that three times he came back and the people that he was intended to prop on, to lean on, that, you know, he he couldn't get them by phone uh, or he couldn't get them by a text message or they weren't responsive. It says, actually, you know, they didn't have that technology back then, but they were asleep during the biggest moment of his life when... Everything seemed to be crashing down, you know, and, and, and it, it was, it was redemption for us that it was crashing down. But you got to remember, like, he's a guy that is not unable to sympathize with our weakness because he's been in the same situations that you and I have, have been in and no one was there. Um, he, he stood alone again as they all fled. He listened. Uh, I, I imagine... You know, the scripture says in Mark chapter 14, about verse 72, that Peter was there. And it it says that Peter denied Jesus three times. And one of the times, um, it it actually seems to infer that this servant girl came up to him, like a young teenager came up to to Peter and said, hey, you you were also like, you're with a Galilean, like you were with Jesus. Like she can recognize his accent. Maybe she can recognize him because Jesus had this very public ministry, right? And Peter was one of not just the inner 12, like he was one of the inner three. He was one that Jesus propped on, leaned on heavily as one of his right-hand men. And she says, you you were with them. And then Peter begins cursing, like swearing that he didn't know Jesus. And it seems to infer in the scripture like that Peter and Jesus's eyes locked eyes, like that he could see him in that moment and see like when he's distraught after he's been beaten and Jesus knows what's about to happen. Like he's about to be crucified. He's about to be put to death. He's already been mercilessly, ruthlessly scourged. And his friend, he he just denies him, had no part. Uh, if, If we look like history, and we look at crucifixion and how it was normally done, and this would be just a public shame. You know, and I don't know if this happened to Jesus or not. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. And so I don't want to import like this theological idea of something because it's not, but, but like traditionally most men would have been crucified naked. 
And, and you think about, even if not, like just the humiliation and the public degradation and shame of everything that the crucifixion entailed in front of a handful of friends, in, in front of your mom, in front of strangers that you don't know, J- just the carrying the weight of shame. And, and even in that moment feeling, he even vocalized this one of being, being rejected by God. Be, being, being in this position of God, why, why have you let me go? Why, why have you abandoned me? And, and then in that, and get get this, like because, like you think that would be enough, but even in that moment, he he cries it out in what would have been, I believe, the Aramaic language, Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he cries that Eli, Eli, like some of them think he's actually calling forth Elijah, meaning when he's the most beaten down, the most broken, the most shamed, the most humiliated, the most, he's carrying all of that for us. He's, he's even misunderstood in that like people think that he's calling for Elijah. What, what's the point? Isaiah 53.3. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4. Been through everything that we've been through just like us. There's this great verse. I hadn't even planned to bring this one up, but this great verse in 1 Timothy 4 where he talks about, I think it's in 1 Timothy 4. It talks about there's one, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. One mediator and Man, there, there is this great, great, great quote. It, it, it's theological. It's, you know, Bible college, seminary type thing. But it, it's this, like the Reformers. So this is the era of Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and those guys. They, they used to say something like this. They said, the unassumed is the unsaved. And and I think, honestly, they, they picked that up from the 300s, like the councils of Nicaea and Trent and, and Chalcedon, when they're trying to figure out and articulate who Jesus was and what this Christ event did for us. And over and over, like many people were saying, well, Jesus was, he was just God. He wasn't a man. And other people were going, I know, he's just man. He's not God. And, and they came to it at these councils and the reformers said, no, 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 the, the, the unassumed is the unsaved. And what they meant was like it was a kickback to what Job said. I think in like Job chapter 9, like he says, I mean, who can mediate between God and man? Like who can connect man to God? And Timothy, uh, we read in that letter that Paul says that, well, there is one mediator. It's it's the man, Jesus Christ. Now, now Christ means anointed one. Like that, this is the one who is of God. He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. Like Jesus claimed over and over to be God. And so he can fully connect God to man, but he's fully man. And so he can connect us to God. And because he can connect both, like both the divine and both the complete human, like meet in this one man, and he pulls both sides together like, like if you've ever been to court you know or avoided court with the mediator been through mediation you like you know that's ideally what the mediator does represents both sides perfectly represents both sides completely and if Jesus was just man like I don't he couldn't connect us to God. He, but if he's just God, like he doesn't connect God to man. But but because he's both, like it it somehow it all meets there. 
And if, if the idea that, again, like if the idea that the reformers and the early church fathers were going off of was, was this was this idea that the unassumed is the unsaved. The, the, the unassumed is the unredeemed. The, the unassumed, meaning if Jesus didn't take it on, it's not been taken care of. He had to take it on to take care of it for me and you. Like, then, then, then the opposite is true. That that which has been taken on has been taken care of. That which has been assumed has been saved. That which he has put on himself has been permanently, eternally handled. You say, well, how, how does it how does it relate today? Like, how, how did, what, what's the point? The point is this. Like, I began kind of talking with you earlier. I said, good thing, like Jesus, a, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, a, a man of sorrows, a gra- acquainted with emotional pain, turmoil, loneliness, guilt, shame, the, the feeling of it's not going to work out. It's not going to be restored. It's not going to be mended. It's not going to be healed. It's not going to happen. And all the feelings that we carry on about that. And the scripture says that because that's been assumed that those feelings have been redeemed, they've been freed. He's been through it. Um, Here's what that means and here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, first of all, it doesn't mean that it makes it easy or tidy. I think I've been on this journey the last couple of years. I, I think through it, like uh, just, you know, working through emotional things and working with this side of myself that I've never gotten into. I've never tapped into it. Like there'd be pieces like I've been disappointed before. I've cried before. I've, I've been told when I was little, Hey man up and shut that and stuff it away and don't cry. And boys don't get, you know, yeah. But, but the last, last couple of years, like really dealing and diving into kind of this emotional side of stuff, haven't gotten it right a lot, but exploring and figuring it out and being open for the first time to going, golly, there's something here. There's something more that the Lord wants to do. There's something that he endured. And it, and it doesn't mean that because he endured it, that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's tidy. It doesn't mean that it's pain-free. It doesn't mean that it's simplistic. It doesn't mean that you can just you can just tidy a, a simple answer over it. I, and, and I think that's the tension for me. Like in you know, kind of in church world, still, like a lot of people get on stage and they want to throw off these very simplistic one-sentence answers. And I, I, I get it. And maybe there's this place where what we need to do is hold intention. Like, hey, the simplistic one-sentence answers can be true because they're true, and we know they're. True. And at the same time, like the tension is that we live in the life of gray where things don't seem black and white. Like we, we have to wrestle and we have to walk, walk it out and we have to endure the journey. Like we know certain things are true that Jesus restores, restores and redeems. But sometimes you feel like you're in no man's land, right? So the fact that he heals that he was acquainted with grief and he's been through it and he restores and heals and mends it doesn't mean it's just easy. The other side of it though means that like it's it's done 
And maybe we walk through that not easy part, realizing that uh, this too will pass. Like this too has been healed. Uh, I haven't experienced healing yet. You might say to yourself that you haven't experienced the healing yet, but that we have confidence, not that it's easy, but that at some point it will be. That He makes all things beautiful in their time. That Romans 8 says that all things, meaning even this, even this trauma, even this thing that God didn't intend it, even this thing that was meant for evil by someone or something else, that God wasn't the author of confusion, that even this thing, though, that somehow Jesus endured it and all things work together for the good. Gosh, that's so tough, right? It it almost seems insensitive to say that to someone that's enduring something. It seems insensitive to say, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff of my own right now. It seems insensitive for me to even hear it like back to myself, right? But yet it's the tension of the not easy yet true, not easy yet It's how things are. Maybe, maybe you're there. And so what I'm going to do is right here, I'll come back with another episode on the tail end of this. I'm going to sign off and say, as I always do, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and shine his face, not of just favor, but of compassion of empathy, the face that says, whatever you're going through, I've been there too. And I see you. And I feel you. And it's not easy, but this will pass, that this will be made beautiful in its time. Yeah, may the Lord bless you. May He keep you and may you see, sense, and experience and feel the tension of that. And as you do, rest in shalom. I'll talk to you again soon.